And the variety made it so I didn't get bored mm -hmm. um, because Manic Claire gets bored. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, Manic <laughs> Craig gets bored too. <laughs> really bored, really fast. It's like, oh, I want to do all the biking all the time. And I'm for two years, I did nothing but ride my bike. And then I did my century ride. I rode 100 miles in one you know, day. And, um, and then I was like, okay, I'm done with that. What's next? Whereas in CrossFit, you don't get that. Nope. <laughs> it's like, nope. Oh, I completed this thing. I have 50 other things to do still. Um, so, so that was nice. And then on top of that, like having the community, like I could go in and I could say like, I'm feeling really depressed today, you know, and, and, and people would understand. Podcast. This is your host, Craig Vitamin, bringing you another conversation with the daily disruptor, everyday educator in the world, in the, in the whole world, in the whole wide world. This week, I'm chatting with my friend, Claire Katie. Claire and I go way back, back to our days at Oregon State University. So I've known Claire for around 10 years now, and our lives have crossed paths many times since leaving Oregon, and she and I have kept in touch the entire way um, uh, throughout social media mostly, but uh, random uh, in-person interactions too, so that's been really great. Claire is the founding uh, director of the Colleges and Universities Food Bank Alliance, so she knows all about food banks uh, and housing and food insecurities on college campuses and in the world. So we get into talking about all of that throughout this episode, as well as her love of lifting and CrossFit, which I get to nerd out about a little bit as well. So that's a really fun aspect of the conversation we get to chat about uh, throughout uh, the second portion of the conversation. So uh, we'll get to that conversation in a little bit, but first... Just letting you a reminder that uh, we are part of the Connect EDU network, which is comprised of a whole bunch of higher education podcasts and uh, internet content creators. Uh, you can go to connectedu.network to check it out and learn more about the uh, podcasts and creators that exist inside of our little network. You can also go to artissurvival.com to learn more about my nonprofit, which creates art for trauma survivors. We had a couple new epi new episodes. We had a couple new stories go up within the last couple of weeks. So if you want to read those and see the art I made for them, that'd be really sweet. That'd be really great. Uh, lastly, you get to hear tunes from the new Personal Best album, which is called Where 
or no, where, no, what, what you at. I thought it was going to be where you at, but it's what you at. It's uh, from the band Personal Best. Their album was released recently by uh, Sheer Luck Records, which is ran by our friend Jacqueline O'Connell. So you get to hear some of that. Uh, You heard some at the top. You'll hear some throughout the episode, and you'll hear a full song later on. So yeah, that's what we've got. To on tap for this episode. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Claire Katie. Here we go. So I'm sitting digitally with my friend Claire Katie. How are you, Claire? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty well. I feel pretty good today. It's nice and sunny. Oh, yeah. Definitely I'm here, too. Always a big fan of that. Summertime, sun. I've already got a nice tan building up. The uh, It's the half Mexican in me that just, like, tans the second the sun hits me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Does it get humid in Boston? Yes. Yeah. We've had a couple yeah. thunderstorms the last couple of nights, so it's been mm-hmm. pretty humid and kind of gross, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I live in North Carolina, and it gets super humid. Yeah. Like, you just – it's, like, 72, but, like, the humidity's 300%, so you're yeah. just, like – your whole body just feels gross all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me miss Oregon. Honestly, <laughs> like people are like, it's like 100 degrees. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't have the humidity. Seriously. Yeah, it actually feels like, I think it feels cooler. And then you go in the shade and you feel cooler because yeah. the air isn't what's making you hot. Yeah. So like I live next to the ocean. And so I went for my run next to the ocean just because it's a little bit chiller. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a smidge cooler <laughs> just to be able to run against the water. Yeah, um, totally. Cool. So I know a little bit about you and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but can you tell folks who you are and what you do and where, where you came from? Sure. Sure. Um, my name is Claire Katie. I am, um, the founding director of the college and university food bank Alliance or CUFBA. Um, I'm originally from central New York. Um, I've lived in eight states. I don't know. I lose track. I've lived in a lot of states. um, And I think of myself as sort of a scholar practitioner in higher education and human services. Sick. Um, I like that you describe yourself that way because I think that that fits you very well in all of the ways that I've known you. Um, which is fun because you and I met in Oregon, one of the Mm -hmm. states that you lived in. Um, and when we were both at Oregon state and I just, one of my fondest memories is playing a coffee house gig with you. Oh, that's (laughs) right. I know. I know. That was, that was fun. I haven't, I haven't done anything like that since I left Oregon. Um, yeah, you know, I just, I I think it was just the time of my life that that was what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and now I'm, I'm supposed to be doing other things. Um, I still play at home. Um, okay. My partner and I play together at home a lot, um, but I don't. I don't generally play outside the house anymore. I'm actually getting kind of the same way, just because I had to reprioritize all the things in life. So mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. out with even because I was playing with the band for a little bit, and I was like, you know what, this takes up time that I could be doing other things. So yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the older I get, the more I kind of hone in on the things that mean the most to me. Mm -hmm. And I want to be, I want to show up for them the best I can. Exactly. So like, like even with this podcast, I've kind of like tailored back a little bit because I was doing Mm -hmm. it every week and now I'm just like, I'm going to do it when I can do it. And that's going to fit more toward my schedule and it'll surprise the people who subscribe whenever a new one pops up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would imagine. So I used to blog and I would write one or one or two blog articles a week. Um, And I also was a part of a blog with a bunch of friends and I only had to write twice a month, but it was enough that I felt like I was almost sacrificing quality for quantity. Mm -hmm. And so like what I, what, what I produced wasn't nearly as good because I had to like rush it to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. It feels that way some nights, like when I'm like up editing and putting it all together, like I wish I could Mm -hmm. put more effort into it. And so I was like, you know what? The few and far in between, there are now going to be as good as I can be. And I'm going to make sure that I'm spending the right amount of time with each person I'm interviewing instead of feeling like I need to like get through the conversation. Instead, I yeah. like, want to take this time and actually like enjoy the conversation. Not saying mm-hmm. that the other conversations I've like rushed through, but like sure. I've had some like scheduling issues and then it gets kind of frustrating. And yeah, you know how it goes. Oh, um, yeah, totally. So uh, when we met, you were doing um, some very cool um, access work at Oregon State, and you kind of like, like, because you were running the food bank there, right? Yeah, so the office I was running was called the Human Services Resource Center, and it was actually a student-developed program, Mm -hmm. so it came out of the student government. Um, And they funded it top to bottom and developed all of these really amazing programs, I would say less about access really, and more about helping people to thrive and and persist. Um, And the, you know, tremendous vision, in my opinion, for Mm -hmm. students, and they kind of modeled it after the human services or social services systems in the US. um, Because the the student government there was very closely aligned with like how the US government looks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the, the work was done to kind of develop that. And at the same time, there was this group of anthropology students who were developing um, a a mapping exercise to find food deserts in and around Corvallis. And they found this huge food desert right around the campus. And so they started digging a little deeper and they're thinking, well, maybe it's just because students don't need to go grocery shopping, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe their, their needs are met. And so there's no market there. And what they actually found was there were students that were food insecure. So they started a campus pantry and that got folded into HSRC, um, right before I was hired. Um, and I was the first full-time professional hired into that work. Yeah. Well, and it seems like that just became your life to a degree. Um, what was that experience like, um, taking on that sort of work and what did you like er learn early on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually was homeless and unemployed when Mm -hmm. I took the job at Oregon state. Um, I had been working at a wilderness program for at-risk youth that, um, was slowly being downsized by its corporate owners, um, because it was seen as the way that was being run was too expensive was how Mm -hmm. they saw it. And, um, you know, the recession hit a lot of industries really hard and that wilderness therapy industry got hit extremely hard because there isn't really a whole lot of, you know, there's not insurance dollars to cover a lot of the stuff that was there. So people were, you know, paying out of pocket for the program and it's not cheap. 
So um, I moved into some sort of spot work in um, nonprofits and I was doing some, um, you know, here and there, I was able to pick up some freelance wilderness work, but primarily I was living in my car and I was kind of trekking around trying to stay on friends' couches and looking for jobs in student affairs because that is actually what my education background is in. Um, and I got my start in housing. So I looked for housing jobs, couldn't find housing jobs. And finally, my good friend at Oregon State sent me this job description and said, you know, they built a job basically for you. <laughs> you need to apply for this. Um, and they were looking for somebody with therapeutic experience or not, not necessarily like a therapist, but someone who had counseling skills, mm-hmm. um, somebody who'd worked in nonprofits and somebody with education background, which I happen to have all three. Um, and I sort of, uh, you know, announced in the middle of my job interview that I was homeless, um, which, you know, generally people don't think of that as like a great job qualification. Um, yeah, it's but also kind of a risk it. too. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, they, they said, well, what would we, what would you tell a student who is living in their car? Um, you know, what, what would you say to them if they, they disclosed that? And I would say, well, let me make sure you're safe. And when I was living in, I was living in my car when I took this job, like, let me give you some tips and tricks to stay safe. And then let's figure out a way to get you into housing. And it was like crickets. Everybody kind of like blinked because you could tell that they didn't know if I was serious or yeah. if I was like, I'll, I would just lie to the student and tell them, you know, that I had been living in my car. <clears throat> and I said, no, no, actually I'm living in my car right now. Y'all like, I am yeah. very grateful that you put me up for two nights while I'm here because I haven't slept under a roof in a while. Oh. And, um, and you know, the, you know, I, I mean, among other things, I got offered the position, um, and like I said, I studied student uh, for student affairs degree, um, I have an education master's in education administration, and you know nobody teaches you that you're going to have food insecure students. Mm-hmm. And you know at least now I think a lot of people do get that as a part of yeah. their higher ed education, but they certainly weren't teaching that in 2006. Um, and so I didn't really know what to do. Um, you know, I had this food pantry. I didn't know how to run a food pantry. And I had these, these sort of social services programs and these students are coming and telling me they haven't eaten in two days. Um, and I kind of panicked and, um, I went out and started looking for literature. I really couldn't find a whole lot. I went out looking for people who were doing similar work and I really couldn't find a whole lot. Um, I finally got, I decided I would go to the NASPA, um, I think it was 2012 in Phoenix. Hmm. Um, I was like, I'm going to go to this and I'm going to see if I can find other people that are doing work similar. And what I'll do is I'll present. And then the people that are interested or are doing the work will come to my presentation. So I'll like call them to me. And (laughs) four people came and two came to argue with me that this was not an issue. What? Yeah. And the, the, that day it was a, it was a horrible presentation because I, um, I was running late and I was trying to get down the street to the presentation from my hotel and I wasn't paying attention cause I was looking at the schedule, trying to figure out what room I was in. Um, and I ran head first into the glass door on the front of the hotel. Oh. Like the, they like open on their own, but it didn't open fast enough for me. And I hit it and I knocked it off the tracks and it was like hanging sideways. Oh. And <laughs> of course everyone heard it was huge. I mean, I had a goose egg on my, my head and, um, and I, I remember the guy was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm really sorry I broke your hotel, but I have to go. I'll be back. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I have to go down the street. And um, I mean, they, they apparently it has like a breakaway. I didn't break the hotel. Um, it was like meant for like to break away like that in case someone hit it hard. Mm -hmm. um, but I showed up like sweating and like with this huge goose egg on my head and then gave this presentation to four people. Um, and I walked away from that, <coughs> that conference basically thinking, okay, well, I guess if there's nobody out there I can learn from, then I'm going to have to create the knowledge. Um, and so I started doing that. Um, and I started, you know, I started writing and I started, um, you know, doing more presenting and creating, you know, I mean, essentially creating online content. Um, at a time where really that online content generation and creation was really becoming a part of like how people share mm -hmm. and connect. Um, and, um, about, I would say six to six to eight months after that, um, I went through a really bad breakup and my dog died in the same, like in two week time span. Oh, boy. Um, and I was just absolutely devastated and. I basically just put myself into the work as a way to heal. Hmm. Um, and I was just like, okay, fine. Like I'm, I'm no longer homeless. Um, I have got this good job. I'm in this work. I'm helping these students. I'm just going to put my head down and really see what I can do in the next like two or three years, hmm. um, for the field, for myself, for my students. Um, and that's when we started, I started the food bank Alliance. Yeah. That's so fascinating to hear the, like, what, what it took to kind of like get to that point. And now you've been running Koofba for what, five years or so? Um, six years? It's been a minute. Seven. Seven. I think it's seven, six or seven. Seven yeah, years. Something yeah. Something like that. Can you explain <laughs> to folks what that is, like what Koofba is and what sure. y'all do? Yeah, so College and University Food Bank Alliance. Um, we are a capacity building organization that works with colleges and universities to develop uh, food insecurity programs. Um, mm -hmm. So programs to ensure students have uh, the food resources they need to um, you know, be healthy and to stay in school. Um, we started primarily or almost exclusively with campus food banks. So very similar to what I said was started by students at Oregon State that I was managing. Um, you know, we developed toolkits and we did um, phone consulting. Um, and about, I'd say about a year after we started it, and I say we, I'm referring to my colleague Nate Smith-Tig from Michigan State. Um, they have one of the oldest campus pantries in the country. Hmm. Um, and I found him online and he was also looking to do something similar. So we um, you know, we had a little bit of money from Michigan state to start a website and we kind of just launched from there. Um, but, uh, maybe not quite a year after we started the program was right. Kind of as we were rebounding from the recession as a nation mm -hmm. and there were a lot of stories coming out about, you know, essentially <clears throat> middle-class white kids really struggling to stay in school or to mm -hmm. afford to stay in school. So like, quote unquote, the people we don't expect to be dropping out for money um, were struggling and the media picked up on it because, you know, here's this sympathetic population. Um, you know, so it's not to say that food insecurity wasn't happening on our college campuses, but it was not happening to, quote unquote, the right people. Yeah. Um, you know, and so now there's these, you know, students experiencing food and housing insecurity, um, you know, legitimately, struggling. Yeah. Um, and were the media picked it up and it was just like, 
just um, was absolutely, it was, it was really intense because we were getting phone calls left and right yeah. um, from schools that, you know, were like, they would hear this was an issue that say, oh my gosh, maybe we have students. What do we do? And they did exactly what I did. Who's doing anything on this? <laughs> Who can we find? And they found our website. And so, you know, there was a chunk of time where I was probably fielding like five to 10 phone calls from schools a week. Yeah. Um, and the media was calling and it, I got so many media phone calls that they put me through media training at Oregon State. Um, and I was told if I was going to talk to the media, I had to just give them a heads up like, hey, this reporter's calling. Um, and so I would send, I just, a woman that I just sent this, this stuff to and she finally one day just wrote back and she goes, you can just take the media requests. You do fine. We trust you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're getting more media requests than our president. And I just can't manage them all. Ah. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. So that's, that's kind of, you know, how the, the work progressed. And, and in some ways I, I feel like history picked it, you know, that I was doing this thing that just became really important. Um, and so, you know, kind of answered the call literally yeah. and figuratively. That's yeah, that's wild. I didn't realize that you were getting so much. I didn't realize you were getting so much attention. Maybe like I just wasn't as close to it, but like that is fantastic. And the work I feel over the last definitely five or so years has become so prevalent on campuses mm -hmm. because I think students are actually learning more about those resources and are, cause like we have RU access, uh, uh, space on campus and yep. I know that it's very well utilized by students. Yeah, it is. And so, cause we also have a very specific, uh, subset of students that do need that support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yep. so, um, seeing that and having been around that for like the last four years, um, I'm seeing the, the definite need and the the power that comes behind doing that sort of work. Um, mm -hmm. What have you found is like one of the most um, rewarding parts of doing this work? Um, I, you know, what's, what's rewarding to me is how many people are now bought into this is an issue who believe the students when they tell about their struggles and who are contributing to this greater body of work. Um, you know, it, it was an isolating experience to get started in it and um, extremely frustrating because even at Oregon State where there was, there was so much of a belief that, we, that these were issues that we were being funded, you know, $400,000, $500,000 a year of yeah. funding coming in. You know, most of that went back out the door in the form of subsidies to students um, and or salaries for the student workers. So, you know, we were reinvesting that money in students, but that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, and yet I would be out on campus and I'd be pounding the pavement and it would, I would get essentially like the, um, professional equivalent of like a pat on the head. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, like, bless, bless you for helping these poor needy students. And now, you know, we have a, a field of people in research and policy and activism and practice who are doing this work. They're creating brand new interventions and ideas and, and pulling together data and, you know, demonstrating need. And, you know, the, the, the Government Accountability Office has even been involved and gone in and done a GAO report and acknowledged that this is an issue for college students. And so for me, it's really gratifying that the work 
at the front end to spread awareness is now gone beyond. I mean, we still need to spread awareness, but it's much more, my work is much more about, um, about, you know, coming up with solutions and developing things and supporting those who are, um, and, you know, it feels less isolating. There's much more family and Hmm. collaboration. Um, and even I would say some competition, which is not a bad thing. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of scholars out there that are, um, doing research and, you know, that can become competitive really quickly. Um, yeah, I imagine. And also, um, you know, especially when we start talking about like grant money and things like that. Um, but also there's just this diverse range of people who just understand this as an issue and are doing the best they can. Um, and it, it feels like way less of a burden than Mm. it did when I first started. So I'm grateful that it's a load we all get to share. Yeah. And that just feels really, really positive. Yeah. That's since like you were one of like the, the folks that were kind of like on the ground doing that sort of work um, pretty early on, it must be pretty fascinating to see how much it's grown and how much the, the type of competition that does exist for grants right now, because the need is there and the desire mm-hmm. to actually do something about it now is there. Um, yeah. That that alone has got to be something that, like, at least feels uh, like a different level of rewarding. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's like to me, it's just like it puts a really big smile on my face because I know that there are specific aspects of the field that specific people need to be doing, and mm-hmm. like I have no idea I would have no idea where to start in (laughs) your work and Uh um like when I talk to people about the work that I do they're like I could never get up and talk to students about sex (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) so there are specific people who are cut out for the specific work and it makes me just really happy to see the the niche that you cut out for yourself because like especially having known each other for the last 10 years um it's really cool to see like the trajectory that you've taken with all this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's been pretty amazing. And I think that, um, you know, again, for me, what's also amazing about it is that we've been able to expand the kinds of work we do and we've been able to think about it intersectionally that we've been able to start bringing in conversations around race and around, mm-hmm. um, criminal status, right. Yeah. Or veteran status, military status. And, um, you know, and, and start to really, um, you know, to take a look at, um, you know, where gender factors in and where sexual orientation factors mm-hmm. in. And, um, you know, it, it makes it feel sometimes overwhelming because there are so many pieces to the puzzle. Um, but as we continue to expand the conversation, all it does is create more room for more people to be involved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it can be heartbreaking to look at the field of higher education and recognize how much work we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think about, well, what is the most deserving of my time? Yeah. You know, if my interest is in trying to, you know, I, I mean, I think my professional mission is to be able to look back at the end of my career and see that more people graduated college because I was there. Right. Yeah. That's, that's like on a baseline. Well, there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, you know, so is, is, should we be looking at mental health? Should we be looking at trauma? Mm. Um, should we be looking at, um, you know, there's just so many pieces. Should we be looking at race? Should we be looking at, 
um, first generation students or um, should we be looking at undocumented students? Like these are all student populations that, you know, deserve strong consideration inside of the work. Yeah. Um, and I don't have answers for any of that. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> and fortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, money ends up starting to drive those conversations, mm-hmm. right? So like somebody who's really interested in X it says, I'll give you this money to do this type of project or this type of evaluation. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it, it becomes this weird space. Like the philanthropy space is just really strange. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's great to know that there are people that are willing to invest, you know, sometimes millions of dollars in trying to address these issues. Yeah. What would you say to someone who works on a campus right now that might not have this sort of resource? How would you go about, how would those folks go about setting something like this up? And mm. or would it be just reaching out to KUFBA to make something like this a uh, reality on their campus? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, that's why we exist, yeah. right, is to, to, to provide support. Um, and we've seen a, a pretty significant decline in the number of institutions that reach out to us. And partly it's because folks are helping each other. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it might be way more beneficial for, I don't know, let's say a community college in Oregon wants to start a campus pantry. It would be way more beneficial in my opinion for them to go to Mount Hood Community College and see their campus pantry and learn about their programs and then go to Portland State or you know just to see or Oregon State um, and see the different ways that it's being done in the state because um, food bank policy tends to be state yeah. policy um, and you know we at Kufba do not have the the capacity we're all volunteer we don't have any money. Um, we don't have the capacity to keep track of, you know, state by state policy. So, you know, if you can figure out a way to get in at the Oregon food bank and get connected with them because you can connect with someone else in the state, that might actually be more beneficial. Um, and then the resources available through the food bank and that's different state by state as well. And sometimes even within states, like there are in Washington, for example, there's two different sets of food banks. Um, and so, you know, they get their, they have the different, different funding, different policies, et cetera. And so, um, you know, to be able to get connected in with that and get that insider information, it will also drive how your pantry is set up. Um, you know, so in Oregon and I know Oregon the best because I, I haven't managed a campus pantry since I left there. Um, but in Oregon, you know, we were able to access things like free shelving and free refrigerators and like, you know, infrastructure and not everybody has that. At their at their food pain at their food bank level in their state, um, so we find that that's definitely a huge deal. Um, I'll be shameless and self promoting for one moment. Yeah, um, go ahead. Next, next year, I have a a book coming out. It's a collaboration with a colleague. Um, it's an edited volume um, that will be a, um, sharing. Um, I think it's eight different approaches to addressing food insecurity on campus, um, including food pantries, but also dining swipes, um, research, taking a system-wide approach, cultural change, um, utilizing like the the power of student activism. Um, You know, so we're, we're touching on all of these different approaches that are happening in the field already and really trying to um, sort of uh, crack a door so that folks can take a look at them um, and, and get a better idea of what they might want to do on their campus. 
That's awesome. I didn't know you were doing a book. That's so sick. Um, <laughs> sure. Again, um, just lot, more stuff to be proud of you for. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's been it's been wonderful. I mean, like my my co co editor is amazing, um, and so um, we've had an, a really positive experience. And then all the contributors contributors have done an incredible job um, of you know sharing their experiences and their wisdom as well. So mm. we're hoping that it will be a really useful um, tool for people. Awesome! I love that. We'll be right back with more conversation with Claire Katie. So outside of all that work, I know that you take care of yourself in a very different way um, through the world of lifting and CrossFit. When did you start getting into this sort of stuff? Because I, <laughs> I know it hasn't been terribly long. No, it hasn't. You know, it's really funny. Like I just, as you said, as you asked that question, I'm about to say, I started doing it when I was in Oregon. Um, and I, that gave me this like weird little flash of thought about like, in some ways, the life I live right now started in Oregon mm-hmm. um, because, you know, for, for a couple of different reasons, but primarily because I started taking medication for my bipolar disorder mm-hmm. when I lived there. Um, and I started CrossFit actually as a part of my treatment plan. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. So um, I didn't want to take medication. I was um, a very reluctant to do it, um, mostly because of... I mean, you know, media representation of what medication does to you. And um, I was terrified that I was going to lose me. Yep. That's the same feeling I had. So scary. Like, how do I, what happens if I'm not me anymore? Mm -hmm. I like me. I mean, you know, and the bipolar makes me me. So, I mean, or at least part of, part of what it, you know, makes me me. And so I, my, a psychiatrist and I went round and round for about six months and finally landed on, I will go on a very low dose, like a starter dose of my medication. And I will also do a whole bunch of lifestyle elements to my treatment. So that included, um, you know, getting at least seven to eight hours of sleep a night, drinking a certain amount of water, um, eating a certain diet and exercising, but not just exercising. Cause I've always been good at exercise. Yeah. I, I grew up in a, my parents both worked in college sports. I grew up on sports and playing sports. I played sports in college. I, but at that point I had done cycling racing. I had done triathlons. Um, I'm a avid backpacker. So like physical activity, not an issue for me. What I had to do though <laughs> And I was really upset about it because I'm a massive introvert was I had to do, I had to also spend time with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause I was very isolating. I was isolating myself both because I was, you know, I was doing this sort of like, let me put my head down and do my job only. Um, but also cause I'm an introvert and because my bipolar kind of like forces, like it doesn't force me to isolate, but I isolate as a result of it. And, um, and so I started CrossFit because I had a roommate who coached at the box up the road from my house and, 
you know, she had never, never, you know, the like stereotype, like, a, you know, you hear the vegan, the atheist and the CrossFitter all walk into a bar. Yeah. How do you know? You, how do you know the difference? Like, you know, don't worry, they'll, they'll tell you. Um, <laughs> you know, so, but like you know, living, living with her, she never talked about it. I mean, we knew she was going to coach, but she never, she never talked about it. She never hmm. advocated for it. Nothing. Um, and so I finally just said to her, I was like, Hey, this is what I have to do for my treatment. Um, you know, tell me about this CrossFit thing because don't you take the classes with people? Isn't like, it's supposed to be like a social activity too. Yeah. And, um, and she said, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, especially if you start going at the same time, you'll get to know the people you work out with. Um, you know, there'll be accountability there and, you know, in any given day you can give whatever your hundred percent looks like that day. You give that. Hmm. Right. So, you know, you're my, my hundred percent on my best day is 500% of my worst day, but it's still my hundred percent that day. Um, and it's all modifiable and scalable. It's not actually dangerous, even though everybody thinks it is. Yeah. And so I went and started doing it and I found it to be because I, because of the social aspect, which I was not getting in my life that made a huge difference. And then also, um, it's variety it's it, so it's so it's constantly varied functional movement. Yeah. Um, and the variety made it so I didn't get bored. Um, mm-hmm. because Manic Claire gets bored. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, Manic <laughs> Craig gets bored too. <laughs> really bored, really fast. It's like, oh, I wanna do all the biking all the time. And I'm for two years I did nothing but ride my bike. And then I did my century ride. I rode a hundred miles in one you know, day. And, um, and then I was like, okay, I'm done with that. What's next? Whereas in CrossFit, you don't get that. (laughs) It's like, Oh, I completed this thing. I have 50 other things to do still. Um, so, so that was nice. And then on top of that, like having the community, like I could go in and I could say like, I'm feeling really depressed today, you know, and, and, and people would understand. Mm-hmm. You know, they would get that. So I've been doing it for six years now, six, yeah, six years. Yeah. Um, and I've worked out at three, primarily at three different boxes, one in Oregon, one in New York and one here in Raleigh. That's great. Yeah. I feel like I had a very similar reluctance to go in like my first time because I was like, I was so used to building my own workouts, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize at the time weren't really great workouts just because like, I didn't really know how to build a workout. And then the first time I went in, I thought my whole conception of CrossFit was everyone is jacked. Everyone is like crushing it all the time. And then I didn't realize like on the very first day, everything is scalable. And I'm like, Oh, so y'all are actually pretty lenient. You just want us to get through a safe workout. Yeah. I didn't realize that was a thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you see this, the games athletes, right? Like that's like the biggest representation, right? Yeah. Public representation is that and like videos of people doing stupid shit and getting hurt. Yeah. And so like that's basically the, the public image. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the box I work out in, I've been at for three years now, um, is, you know, so... And we have folks in their 60s, we have a kid's Mm -hmm. class, there's teenagers, um, people from all walks of life. And it's actually the most diverse, both um, from a perspective of sexual orientation and also from a perspective of race. Mm -hmm. I mean, because CrossFit is really white. Um, And, you know, my gym's still really white. (laughs) (laughs) But but I find it to be the community that I've landed in right now is... um, 
certainly one of the more welcoming. And then I coach at another gym and that one is probably, um, also is also extremely diverse, um, and focuses not focus, but really creates, um, a, an adaptive athlete space. Yeah. So the head coaches coaches from a wheelchair. Um, we have a paramill, we have all kinds of great adaptive equipment. And so we have, Athletes that are quadriplegic, um, that are legally blind, that um, have CP, and um, and you know, and other various different abilities, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, that's the like wonderful part that I had to learn because even the gym that I go to, which is uh, for I've I've talked with someone who runs helps work who works at the the gym that I work, go to is it's a gym for people in recovery, and so it's people who are sometimes a couple years sober, a couple months sober, two days sober. Yeah, and wow. It's, it's people who are just trying to get their life together. Mm-hmm. And some people who, like, I mean, I'm uh, coming up on seven years sober. And so, like, <sighs> I've so awesome. definitely got my life under control. But, like, you never know. Yeah, and, like, totally. there are people, like, a bunch of our trainers, a lot of our coaches are under five years sober. So like mm-hmm. a lot of them CrossFit is how they got sober. Yeah. And so that's like one of the most fascinating parts of the work that they're doing is they're not trying to like intimidate anyone. They're trying to enrich the lives of everyone. And yep. that's the wonderful community that I found. And it's something that like I'll drop in on like this last week I, I had a Wednesday off and so I'm not usually there on Wednesdays. I dropped in on Wednesday and everyone was like, Craig's here. What? Yeah, we didn't totally. expect you to come here today. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't expect it either. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's like a, it's like a great uh, space to be in. And even like this afternoon we have uh, two couples from the gym are coming over to play board games with us. So yeah. like, it's a, also a way to make adult friends because yeah, as you probably hard. know, super hard (laughs) super hard yeah it is I mean like for me the you know the two times I've moved since I was in Oregon I lived in New York City for nine months and then I moved down to Raleigh um both in both instances I was like where's the box because that's where I'm gonna make my friends um I'm gonna meet people from a lot of different places but we're gonna be like-minded in a few things yeah um and you know that that I think is really really awesome um and, you know, yeah, it's nice to have that accountability. Um, I work out at 6 a.m. Um, and, you know, the I don't know, you you do some early mornings sometimes the too, don't you? The they have is 5.30 and I still haven't mm-hmm. gotten to it. Yeah, so... so 8 a.m. Um, well, I'll go yeah, to the 8 a.m. Well, <laughs> the morning, I feel like the more, like the early morning people like bond because it's, it's like, let's suffer at 6am, right? They totally do. <laughs> <laughs> and so like that, that's been great because the, the 6am crew, since I started coaching and I coach in the evenings, I have to work out in the morning. I've joined this, this crew of people that work out at six. And the thing that I also love about it is it helped me fall in love with my body. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, you know, and, and like, I mean, I can can get like, you know, mushy girl body positive, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, it's not really me, um, (laughs) is, um, but just like the sense of, of I'm a woman that has, I've never been thin. I said, I've always been active and athletic. Um, my bipolar makes it really hard for me to eat healthfully consistently. Um, and so my weight fluctuates all over the place. And, um, one of the things I realized was that I, because I'm bigger, I lift really heavy yeah. and I love that. 
Like I yeah. get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And a couple of years ago, I lost 30 pounds and I lost 50 pounds off my deadlift. And I was like, screw it. <laughs> I'm going back. <laughs> like like I, my body likes it like that. So, so, I mean, it's not, I didn't, you know, gain weight back on purpose, but just the sense of like, oh, my body can be good at this no matter what shape or size it is. And maybe mm. pull-ups are harder, but I can still do them. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, you know, I'm chasing, I'm chasing 300 pound squat and a 400 pound deadlift right now. Um, so that, so that I can, you know, I want to, you know, so the fact that I can even think about doing that feels awesome. Um, and the other piece of it is, you know, you go in there and work out, people give you respect. They don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't care if you, you know, your gender, they don't care your, your race. They don't care your, your ability. Um, you know, if you show up and you do the hard work, they don't care if you scaled, they don't care if you did an RX, it doesn't yep. matter. Um, you know, and so as a, as a woman and when I was a girl being so athletic is not really that, I mean, unless you look really feminine and like try and balance it out. You know, I was bullied really heavily when yeah. I was younger. Um, and so to, you know, I, I was actually talking about this yesterday um, with my partner. So when I was, you know, 16, 17 and playing sports and I would beat the guys because yeah. I was good at sports um, and I would get called all kinds of names and I would get bullied. And then yesterday um, there weren't enough women to partner up for the workout. So I partnered with one of my male friends and we, you know, crushed the workout, felt yeah. awesome. Um, I actually in half the workout used the same weights as him. Um, and we got done and, you know, if, if that had been, you know, when I was in high school, it would have been like, you know, making fun of me, you know, giving me shit. But instead he was like, dude, that was impressive. Like, Hell yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I was like, I'm not used to that kind of reaction period. Yeah. Let alone from a man who I was like going toe to toe with yeah. in a workout. Um, and I just love that. I love that about the community that, you know, if you come in and work hard, they don't really give a crap beyond nope. that. Well, and that's the, I, I really bumped on what you were saying about the body image stuff, because I mean, I've been, I've been in therapy for the last two years for an eating disorder and for body mm-hmm. image issues and my bipolar. And mm-hmm. so, uh, my addiction to running became like self-harm yeah. to the point where I was doing it. And I literally would say this to my therapist. I don't run because it's fun. I run because it is what I need to do to feel good about myself. And once we got to this realization that that was not healthy anymore and I needed to figure out something else, that's around when I found CrossFit. And Mm -hmm. now I still run, but it's more... So the fact that I've developed endurance is the thing that helps me so much in CrossFit Yeah. because like I might not have the strength stuff yet. I have been getting there. I have been developing a a good amount of strength, Mm -hmm. but my, my endurance is what crushes it in the workouts because I'll end up finishing a lot of workouts pretty quickly uh, Mm -hmm. while everyone else is still like working on it. But it's primarily because like I can go. And the other things are coming to me. And like this last week doing a workout where like I had never really done overhead squats before, but I was able to do them (laughs) yesterday at almost the prescribed weight. And I felt really good about myself, like 75 Mm -hmm. total broken up over five rounds with a a 400 meter run. Like 
-hmm. was rough, but I got through it. And I was really proud of myself. And I, it's become to the point, like similar, similar to what you're saying. Like I'm, I'm taking on, I've noticed that I'm taking on muscle and mm -hmm. I'm, my legs are getting a little bit heavier and, um, my running is actually, I've actually had slower running times lately, Sure. but I'm actually enjoying running again. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I have to like change that mindset of I need to be fast. I need to put in all the miles. No, mm -hmm. I'm only running three miles at a time now. And that's fine mm -hmm. for me. And I'm doing it at a pace that feels comfortable and I'm not pushing myself. Sure. And I still have that endurance when I go to CrossFit because mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. many of them are doing three mile runs just no. out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually something that that's also really cool about it is like, because it's about fitness, which is a well-rounded thing, right? Um, our bodies are going to be good at some things and not as good at other things. Yeah. And so, like you said, my body is built for the power movements, like mm -hmm. deadlifts, bench press, um, I can do the explosive movements and mm -hmm. the explosive work and I can do pretty well over short time domains. Um, but I don't do gymnastics super yeah. well. Um, and so like, I have a friend that when we work out together, like, like if the, let's say, and, and he's the opposite, like super good at gymnastics. He's a smaller guy, um, high endurance. And so like, sometimes there'll be a workout program where it'll be like heavy deadlifts and pull-ups. Yeah. And so we'll work out next to each other and race. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get through the deadlifts and I'll do them all unbroken and I'll get up on the pull up bar and he'll catch me and we'll get off the bar at the same time. Right. And so, yeah. like, we'll cycle through it. And it's just really amazing. It's like, wow, like your body's good at this. My body's good at that. And as a result, we're going to perform really similarly in a mm -hmm. workout, um, even though our strengths are so different. I, it just it, it's really cool to me. And it it um, it just makes it really fun. Um, yeah. And I just I love going in and just saying and I coach now, too. Yeah. So like, that's also really fun to go in and like help people find the things that they're good at. Mm -hmm. Um, and I work, I said, I work with adaptive athletes, a lot of them. So, yeah. um, you know, coming up with creative ways for them to be able to do the movements, um, which is also, because it's a, it's a really fun addition to, to it. Um, and I'm a backpacker. I've been backpacking yeah. since I was 11 and it makes me a better backpacker. Hmm. Um, and then I went out, I did a 57 mile trip with my friend just recently and came back and I was better in the gym. Hell yeah. You know, cause I just walked 57 miles yeah. with weight on my back. Yeah. And I feel like it gives you a better relationship to those sorts of things. Like, cause like now I do have a better relationship with running and yeah. your relationship with hiking and the CrossFit work is probably great because you put your, you give yourself time to do both things yep. and you're not like crushing yourself to do one of the things. Mm -hmm. Um, our gym is actually adding powerlifting and Olympic lifting class, which mm. I'm really excited for. And it's going to be on Sunday nice. mornings. So like ideal for my schedule. And so mm -hmm. I'm pretty excited because I, I've finally gotten into doing like snatches and I love like clean, uh, squat cleans. Like mm -hmm. I love those sorts of things. So like, and especially since I broke my wrist um, in my accident, yeah. um, like both of my, like this, my other wrist had to uh, overcompensate too much. So now they're both kind of crap, but uh, they're <laughs> finally feeling to mm -hmm. the point where they're strong again. And like, I'm loving these movements and it honestly feels like I'm accomplishing something. And yeah. that I think is like the biggest, 
Like the first time I did a snatch in my brain, I was like, I'm not going to be able to get this bar up. And then yeah. once I learned the tricks of like keeping the bar close to your body and not like swinging it out, mm-hmm. um, you just keep it close to your body and bring it up. I'm like, oh, that's actually easier than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Until it gets up in your head, right? Until you look at the bar and you go, mm, that looks really heavy. I don't think I can do that. And then you just can't. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happens to me at least. I'm looking at the bar and I'm like, oh, that's, that's a lot. Mm. Oh yeah, the first time I so I was did a, a clean, uh, like for strength, like I was just cleaning for strength, and mm-hmm. I had never done it before, and I had really only done like endurance cleaning with like um, what I, what was I doing that with ninety five, and mm-hmm. so like I would do this workout where I did a bunch of cleans at ninety five, and I never really gone beyond that, and mm-hmm. I got up to where I was cleaning one fifty five, and I was like hell yeah I feel good about this. Yep. <laughs> Because yeah, I never totally. thought I would throw 45s on the sides and even add some 10s on there like mm-hmm. to clean. Yeah. I never thought I would, but there I was yeah. doing it. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Yeah, I want to I wanna be able to clean my body weight. I've got a little ways to go still. But, um, <laughs> my, and, and, like, of course, you know, because like, I put on muscle, um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm two sizes smaller than when I started CrossFit, but I weigh 25 pounds more. Um, and yep. my weight's just going to keep going up. And I, I mean, I'm over it. Like I, I don't measure myself by that number on the scale. Um, I had to stop, but yeah, I like I, but I, um, but it is kind of funny. Like I'm not, I'm not, I have no problem telling you I weigh 185 pounds and I'm five yeah. three because I've earned it. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I've earned that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, like I really, I, I, I mean, I'm at 160 now, so I'm sort of slowly chasing it. But I said, the problem is the stronger you get, the more you weigh. Um, unless you're going to go on like some of one of those like really intense, um, nutrition macro diet things, which I just, I can't. No, I can't do it either. I'd rather enjoy what I'm eating than overthink it because I overthought it for too long and it gave me more of a mental illness that I wanted to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely get obsessive. And so I just, I'm like, "Mm -mm." nope, eat what we like and then lift heavy things. Pick them up, put them down. (laughs) All right, time for a music break portion of the podcast, bringing you more tunes from Personal Best. You've already heard one song, which is called Jennifer. And up next, you're going to hear a song called Love Letter. And the album was recently released through Sheer Luck Records, which is ran by our friend Jacqueline O'Connell and her friend Talia Miller. Uh, the uh, label's pretty new, but they've been putting out a couple great albums so far, as well as the uh, album from Leggy, which is called Let Me Know Your Moon. This album uh, from Personal Best is called What You At. You can get vinyl copies, you can get CD copies, and they come with air fresheners as well. So if you want to get yourself some of those, go over to SherlockRecords.com. If you want to just stream straight up from Personal Best, go to PersonalBest.BandCamp.com and support support the band support uh some uh some classic rock for tragic lesbians that's the tagline for personal best i absolutely love that and if you like what you're hearing please give them some support so right now you're gonna go we're gonna play you a song from personal best new album it's called love letter and here it goes
copy of the album or go to personalbest.bandcamp.com get yourself a digital copy you can also get the physical copies there too however you want to get it just get a copy of the album listen to it stream it do whatever you want it's a great album good classic rock tunes for tragic lesbians that's what i absolutely love about this very uh very self-aware in the music that is being created so yeah there you go now let's get back to this conversation with claire katie and finish it out with the lightning round uh, what's your favorite color? Green. Nice. Um, what's your favorite kind of food? Cheese. Cheese? Do you have a specific yeah. kind of cheese? Oh, um, I don't know. Um, maybe manchego. Like a, it's like a hard Spanish cheese. Okay. I've never heard of that cheese before. It's really good. Nice. It's good on crackers. It's good basically all the time, but I like it on crackers. Okay. I'm a classic Pepper Jack fan. Love mm. me some Pepper Jack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I enjoy that on a good sandwich. Yeah. I've had to tailor back on my uh, uh, my dairy, but mm. I still find some time for my cheese. Um, cool. What about, do you have a favorite book? Ooh, um, probably Getting to Yes by Thich Nhat Hanh, which mm. is, um, it's actually a collection of sort of, um, mindfulness uh mindfulness i don't know if case studies is not the right word but like vignettes Mm. or metaphors um that i I used to read it to my students at the wilderness program um and i still pick it up from time to time but it's all about like being mindful of the world around you and the people around you and what it what it means to um to kind of care for yourself and others yeah that's fantastic i've been reading a lot of books along those lines so i might have to like check into that one I just picked up uh, Unfuck Yourself, so I'm excited oh. to dig into that one. Yeah, totally, totally. I'm about to read Michael Pollan's new book, the one on psychedelics. Oh, cool. Which I think will be really interesting because it's like looking at um, utilizing them for like things like PTSD hmm. um, and other mental health issues, which hmm. I think is just really fascinating. That does sound fascinating. Um, where's your favorite place you've ever traveled? New Zealand. Yeah? What was it oh, about yeah. New Zealand? Um, I think it's a combination. Um, the country is just extremely beautiful. Um, and their primary, um, uh, industry is tourism. And so there's uh, in some ways sort of like almost like a national culture of hospitality. Mm. So, you know, everyone was just very friendly while we were there. And then also this trip was just special because I had three months off from work and I biked the, I biked the whole country. Oh, so wow. we, we did the whole thing on bicycle. And so, you know, there were days that were, you know, really bad and days that were great. Um, but to see, I, I've done a couple cycle tours and to see a, a country or a new place by bicycle means seeing things you don't when you're in a car. Mm. Um, because you can't, you know, it, like if you, if you get a car and you drive around New Zealand, you're not going to stop some of the places we stopped yeah. because you can drive right by them. And so you stay in places where people aren't necessarily like catering to tourists um, or you stay in places that have these like hidden gems that, mm. you know, aren't in the tour books. Um, and then just like the physical challenge and experience of, you know, we biked over 2000 miles in three months, um, you know, with gear on our bicycles was also just like a really cool thing to be able to look back and go, yeah, I did that. Yeah. That's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I could be able to be able to do something like that, but then again, who knows? Never I mean, I'd... I think 
if you can, if you can, if you can be patient and, and give yourself a lot of grace and you like riding a bicycle, you can do it. <laughs> I do love riding a bicycle, but my recent trauma has been hard I to get know, over. I <laughs> know. I believe it. I believe, I mean, I had two accidents, not yeah. nearly as severe as you did when I was yeah. in New Zealand. Oh, really? And, yeah. I have one where I got caught in a train track. Like my front tire got caught in a train track and oh, I went boy. over the handlebars into the street. Um, and I had another one where a woman car doored me. Oh, yeah, like opened the car door and I hit the, I hit like ran straight into her open car door. Oh, um, you know, both of those awful, not, mm -hmm. not to the extent of what happened to you. However. Yeah. Not my favorite, <laughs> but mm -hmm. we're getting there. I started commuting yeah. a little bit here and there now. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. Getting over it a yeah. little bit at a time. Yeah. Um, well, it, it takes time. It does. Um, even though I hate that it has to take time. Yeah. I know. It's, it's, it's so hard. Like once you get to a level of self-awareness where you know what it takes to do something and you know, you'll be okay. Like, like I know in the future I will be fine because mm -hmm. I know how to do the work to make myself fine. Yeah. But I have to wait. I can't skip till then. <laughs> you know, that, and that uh, sucks. But it's I like want to skip. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I felt that way at a, when, when that relationship ended that I referenced and, uh, when I was talking about Oregon State, you know, like I, I was like, I've been through so many breakups and I've been through so much heartache in my life. I know I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to die mm -hmm. from this. But can I just skip to where it doesn't hurt anymore? <laughs> yeah. It really hurts. Yeah. That's <laughs> you real. Can't do that. That's you know, your real. body, it's almost like there's like a, a the mind body connection, just it's a requirement, yeah. like a healing requirement, you know? Mm. Um, what is a favorite movie of yours? Mm. Ooh. I don't watch a lot of movies. Um, and TV, whatever works for you, if you watch anything. <laughs> I mean, The West Wing is the world's greatest television show. Um, do you listen to the West Wing Weekly podcast? I sure do. Hell yeah. Um, I do. I have a little crush on Rishi. Of course. Um, how can you not? He's I know. Like a beautiful, he's charming. He's like a beautiful well. nerd. Yeah. Um, and he's adorable. So. Um, but I mean, I would say, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to pick a favorite movie. I don't know if I have one. That's cool. I mean, yeah, looking, listening to that podcast and going through the West Wing that way again has been mm -hmm. like, re and how they parallel it to like what's happening right now. I know. Is fascinating to me. It really is. It really is. And um, it's been interesting because they're going to be talking about the election during the campaign season. Yep. Like. Yep. Just timing. I mean, yep. I don't think they did it on purpose, nope. but it's going gonna, it's gonna to match up. Yep. Yeah. So, and this is like, I know that people felt that the fifth, sixth, whatever seasons, um, mm -hmm. like, like trickled off a little bit. I enjoyed the last few storylines that they did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Even if it was different, like writing groups, like I, I really enjoyed mm -hmm. the whole yeah. campaign and um, election storyline. Yeah, I mean, I think that because they went and did that instead of, like, in a, you know, if you if you compare it to the inside the West Wing storylines that happened at the same mm -hmm. time, those were really bad. Um, yeah. So, like, if you could just cut out, like, what's happening with, like, CJ and Kate and all those guys at the yeah. White House and just focus on the campaign, I think it would have been great. But the, the, the definitely very formulaic and kind of... Mm -hmm. almost like they were just trying to give those people something to do. Yeah. Um, and because that was it was basically being driven by Bradley Whitford. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so 
So, I mean, I think that that's, that, that was where the quality fell off for me, Mm -hmm. but the fact that they went and did this thing that was really different, that had never been done, Mm -hmm. made it so that they could make it theirs. And I thought that was really great. Yeah. Um, what about music? What have you been listening to? Um, so I just bought tickets to a big, um, music festival in September here in Raleigh called Hopscotch. Yeah. You told me about that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, a lot of indie music, um, but they really run the gamut. Like the, and I, they put together a, I think there's like 200, almost 250 songs from all of the artists that are coming on a Spotify playlist. So I've basically been like running through that, which is great because it's a lot of stuff I've never heard before. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, Slater Kinney is coming. Yeah. I cannot wait to see Slater Kinney. They're back. Um, I know. And, um, James Blake is coming. Um, churches and little brother are like the headliners and I'm excited about all of those. Um, um, I'm a big fan of bluegrass, so like mm-hmm. that's like a go-to for me, um, especially when I'm cooking. Like I'll put that on while I'm cooking in the kitchen. Um, and I've been on a um, return to my early 2000s, not mainstream hip hop kick. Oh, so there you go. listening to like Aesop Rock and uh, Black Alicious and J Five and Lyrics Born. Nice, all over the place there. Yeah, I, I, um, I, like I said, I get bored. So <laughs> same. That's why I my still love the oh, same stuff, different stuff. My Spotify like suggestion thing is all over the place because uh, I kind of have to because I never mm-hmm. really can settle on one sound. Yeah, I, um, I, I, you know, the people I follow on Spotify, I'll sometimes like watch the feed, like what are people yeah. listening to, and I definitely from time to time like, oh, what is he listening to, and like check out whatever it is you've got going. Yeah. Oh hell yeah. Um, great. Well, that's all, uh, I had for you. Do you, uh, if folks want to like get in touch with you or, uh, Kufba, how would they do that? Um, so we're at Kufba.org, C-U-F-B-A.org. Um, I'll say that, and this is, this is like public knowledge, but hasn't been like officially announced that I'm actually going to be handing the Kufba over to my associate directors this year. Hmm. Um, so they will be taking on the role of director. Um, and I will be, um, did I lose you? My partner just called me. Okay. Um, I will be, um, um, on the board of directors, but that'll be the, uh, the extent of my, um, involvement at the end of the summer. Um, but I can be reached at Claire L Katie at Gmail dot com um that's my professional email and i am always interested and open to uh people's questions or if they have ideas or if they want to do collaborations um i i'm i'm definitely in a place with the book winding down and with koopa winding down for me of like trying to figure out what's next um to to borrow a west wing phrase what's next (laughs) Well, fantastic. It was great getting to chat with you again, and I hope our paths cross again soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We need to come visit you all in Boston. And maybe we'll make our way down to North Carolina. Who knows? I know. It'd be great. My my partner is a massage therapist and could help your wrists. Oh, hey, maybe even my neck. (laughs) Yeah, uh, certainly your neck. And and, um, if you've got scar tissue... And mobility issues, hmm. that's like a specialty. So, Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Dang. Well, hell yeah. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Yeah. All right. See ya. Bye. 
That's it. We did it. Another episode of the Edge Punks podcast in the books. Thanks again to Claire Katie for crushing this conversation with me about campus food banks and CrossFit. Had a lot to cover in just over an hour, and I'm really glad that we got through it. Also, if you want more tunes from Personal Best, go to personalbest.bandcamp.com or go over to sheerluckrecords.com and get yourself a physical or digital copy of the album. However you want to get it, get it. Put it in your ears. The new album, What You At, uh, just recently came out, and you got to hear two songs from it already. And I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a third track called Baby to close out this episode. Also, if you want to follow up with Connect EDU Network, you can check out all the podcasts and all the content that we create. Go over to connectedu.network and check it out right now. You can also go to artissurvival.com and learn all about the nonprofit that my partner Katie Ham and I run uh, and how all, how all we do is make uh, art for trauma survivors and give bands some really cool um, materials to take out on the road with them. Uh, we'll have a conversation with our friends in Future Teens coming up. They're going to hit the road. They have a new album uh, that just got announced earlier this week, and I hope that you all check that out too. But that's in a couple weeks. That's just one of the bands that we support and supply materials for. So that's that's how I made that connection there. Free A little bit of a free association. But... All right, that's all I got for this week. Uh, Really glad to be back making episodes every other week. Hope you're all enjoying that. That's kind of the the way I'm going to be doing it from here on out. Every other week, uh, an episode. Just trying to keep it going, but also give myself some time uh, to rest from putting these together. All right, that's all I got. Let's get to work. I'm getting better. I'm looking after some things like my brain.